Exactly Oxy Podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. And we are back after a small hiatus. Yeah. Wherein you got married. Oh, I got married. You got married, yeah. Tasha <laughs> Soft Shaman as well. Uh, to the editor of our show, Paul Lundquist, who's amazing. But yeah, we went to a shaman out in the Redwoods. <laughs> Story for another time. Um, we got blessed. And then we also got a puppy. So it was a busy week off. And I think it's only right we come back with a huge bang and welcome screenwriter Zach Balin to our show. Yes. Zach, say hello and introduce yourself. Hi there. Thanks for having me. All right. So here's the deal. I met Zach on a tennis court and I said, Hey, what's up, man? I'm Josh. And he's like, I'm Zach. I'm like, cool. We exchange pleasantries. He's like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a screenwriter. He's like, oh, cool. Like, what have you written? I was like, you know, nothing that you would have. It's like all in development hell. I'm like, what about you? He was like, uh, King Richard. I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> At what stage, by the way, of King Richard was this? This was like, like six months ago. What? Yeah. <laughs> it was. I, yeah, it was probably six months ago. So it it had come out, I guess. Um. I don't think I was. I, I wasn't that rude about the way I, the way I approached it. But oh, yeah, King Richard. That, kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. A little yeah. movie, you might. Yo, yeah. yo, bitch, fucking King Richard, <laughs> motherfucker. Um, yeah. No, 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 no. Actually, it, it was funny how you said it because I remember you being like, "Oh, you said it in a way where it was like, oh, yeah, of course, it's like." It's fucking King Richard, and, and I remember being like, "Oh, wow, okay." But then anyway, Zach and I had hung out. We've played tennis. We've talked. I found out he's been on other podcasts. I took offense to that. And I was like, dude, will you please come on the Act Two podcast so we can talk to you about your screenwriting career, King Richard, and everything else. And he finally agreed to come on after a lot of pressure. And so thank you again for coming on. My memory is that I agreed right away. And then I went and listened <laughs> to the podcast. thought it was terrific. And yeah, no, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, so where to begin? Josh, I hope, we, I hope you have questions that he's never heard before. I've asked a lot of these questions to him already, so I'm going to ask him again because there's things I've asked him before that I was like, I just couldn't believe it. But this was the first time I, um, I, I checked out uh, Zach's IMDb right five minutes ago before this started. So I, oh, I really? can list off some of the things you're, you're writing right now. You're writing Creed 3, or you've written Boom. Creed 3. Yeah, I, I, so I co-wrote Creed 3, yeah. The trailer actually, come, I think, just came out like five minutes ago. Oh, really? Oh, shit. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah Dude, so we'll have to what are we doing? It. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. We'll um, watch it afterwards. Have a live <laughs> reaction pod. Yeah. Um, Creed 3, The Crow, yep. Gran, Gran Turismo. Can I say that? Yeah, I think so. Is, is that yeah, announced? That's, I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know ultimately like where, you know, like... Credit-wise, how that'll how that'll work out, but I yeah I did a I did a couple months on it like as they were headed into production and they're they're shooting right now, so that was that was a cool that was a cool project to come on in. So Zach, how did you get started in screenwriting? What happened? Can you give us the life story? Yeah, I'll give you the the truncated life story. I mean, I you know I I really wanted to be a a writer like since since college. Um, I went to the Johns Hopkins in Baltimore and. You know, it was just like a film dork. I, I used to, when I was growing up, I spent a lot of time like hanging out at this neighborhood video store. And I 
studied screenwriting in, in college, and then I moved to New York, but really with no no connections in the film industry. And so I, I was really naive about what the pathway to actually being a working writer was. And this was at a time when people were still sort of selling spec scripts in the way that like, you know, Shane Black used to sell scripts. And so there was still that idea that, that like you could just come out of nowhere and, and write a script and, and sell it and, and then have a career. And so I sort of naively thought, oh, that I'll just do that. And um, and then I started writing like an indie Western that I was like, oh, this will be the big spec sale that I'm looking for. Um, that script never sold. You know, I wrote... I, an indie Western? Um, yeah, it was surprising that no one was looking. Period, oh, too. That's yeah. Tasha's territory. You and me both. Yeah. That was my first script, too. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't sold it yet, either. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll, we'd be a double feature someday. But so, I, you know, I, while I was trying to figure out the the pathway to actually having like a career, I started PAing and I ended up working on set for a long time. So I did various jobs in the art department and I ended up getting in the the union in New York where I was living. So then I, I was working on, you know, I, I did three seasons of Gossip Girl as a prop and I did, I worked on The Blacklist and Boardwalk Empire and like a, a lot of TV that was filming in New York and some movies and but I, you know, the whole time I was writing, and and I find I met this this screenwriter named Johnny Rosenthal, who was a really funny guy, and who had had been had written a lot of comedies in like the kind of Will Ferrell vein in that time, and he was doing really well, and he was super nice, and read a script of mine and sent it to his manager, and that began a very long process where those managers turned down every script I sent for like ten years, but then. I wrote one, and, and a junior manager there read it, and was like, oh, I think I know a production company that might want to option this. So that was sort of like my first like foot in the door, but that, that never got made, and you know, King Richard was the first, my, the first script of mine that got made, and it was you know, 20 years after I sort of started trying to do it. So I feel like I have several follow-up yeah. questions. How did you meet the screenwriter who who passed your script along. Um, I met Johnny because I was I was an art PA on a movie called Winter Passing, which was a Ed Harris, Will Ferrell kind of indie that Focus Features made. And Johnny was doing a was like around set because he was doing another movie with the producer. So a friend, mm-hmm. a mutual friend of his and our and mine, this woman named Erin, put us in touch, and because she had read the script that I, I wrote. And so she gave it to Johnny. There was a lot of drinking after work on that set, as I remember. And Johnny was hanging around a lot. And so, uh, you know, we just got to be sort of, we got to be friendly and he agreed to read the script. And he was just really, really supportive from the beginning. So he kept sending his, you know, I, I wrote I three or four scripts over the course of, you know, eight years that I sent to Johnny. And he sent, mm-hmm. them, he sent them all to his manager. So it oh, took wow. a little, you know. It took a, a long time just to get that little foot in, and I was not a very good networker. Like I, I in part of, the, I was I tr- was in New York, and I didn't really realize that the, most of the people I was going to need to know to read scripts and to be an advocate were probably going to be in L.A. And so I just I was sort of stubbornly kept doing it the same way. Yeah, well, I can relate. I mean, that's it's a, it's a question that a lot of writers come to us with too. Is well, 
how off, like how many scripts is too much to send to the same person? How, how many scripts is the manager going to read before I really need to just stop sending them stuff and they hate me? And I guess it sounds like this manager read four of your scripts before he or she was like, oh, like Zach has some talent and I'd be willing to read him or like take a meeting with him rather. I don't know for sure if that manager, how many of them they re- the manager read, but Johnny read them. Okay. So I felt like, you know, or at least he was said he read them and was <laughs> and sent them along. But so I felt like okay to continue. I'm probably because I had like a middleman who was advocating for me. I never contact. I was not in contact with with those managers at all until I never spoke to them until like. You know, eight years later, mm. I got an email from from one of them, and what? So I don't know. It's tricky because yeah, you, you you could certainly like like flood someone's inbox, and then they might just even if it was good, they might just get pissed off and be like, ah, I'm not going to read it. Like this, why does this person keep emailing me? But it's it's such a like catch twenty two of all that stuff because like you need someone to kind of vouch for you to get a good read but you need a good read for someone to vouch for you and it's like it's yeah it's really shitty that that's the the like the way to get in but i saw that we you were on the blacklist before king richard is this this is correct yeah i think i had i had i think i had two scripts on the blacklist before king richard eventually i had that script that i got optioned and i then i got a manager out of that and then the next script i wrote was sort of a a big uh, kind of James Elroy, LA, LA Confidential, E Noir oh. script, and that script got on the blacklist, and I got a, I got my first agent out of that, mm. and so I remember being on, a, I was working in the prop department on this kids TV show called The Electric Company in New York, <laughs> and I was like, I was like microwaving diner food to bring to like the kid actors on set <laughs> and and I got a call from an agent in I, I who was at William Morris at the time it was like oh, I read your script on the blacklist and like wondering if you you know would like to be represented <laughs> and it was pretty it was pretty amazing that's awesome <laughs> sorry to take a step back from that when you had your first script optioned did you parlay that in and like, did you then contact managers yourself and you were like, hey, I just optioned a script. I'm looking for representation. Or did that organically happen? No. So that that first script was like a little kind of contained thriller. It was like a little Hitchcockian movie. And the manager who had I'd been sending those scripts through Johnny to for all those years, the, a, a Junior manager at that company read the script and then contacted me. And at the time, I was, remember now, this is all coming back. I was, when that guy contacted me, I was working in the art department on this, <laughs> on this like home makeover show called Splurge and Save, where we like went in and <laughs> we did people's living rooms and stuff. And so I got a call from that guy and was like, you know, I read your script. I think that there's a, there's a company I know that's looking to make these kind of movies and we've already shared it with them and they would, they're, would, they're interested in, in optioning and trying to put it together. So at that point, and it was sort of a package deal that like that guy would become my manager mm. if, if I wanted to go down that route. So that's how that I happened. wish we could get a TV show of 
you doing your jobs and getting good news, like what you're doing in the, you're like making <laughs> coffee on splurge and save. And you're like, get this call. You're like, Hey, it's definitely an indie movie about how a writer <laughs> becomes a, a professional screenwriter. I have a lot of those memories. Cause I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't get like a paycheck really as a writer, you know, until I was 35 or something. So I had 15 years of working in film production where I was either getting mostly bad calls mm -hmm. from someone I had sent the script to. It was like, oh, no, actually, we did read it, and we didn't call you back because we hated it. And, right. <laughs> and then eventually, like, I remember being on, okay, I was a prop on the show The Blacklist, the James Spader show. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of jumping ahead in my timeline a little bit, but I had taken a, or I had a TV pilot that I was trying to go out with, and I had been on, I was not normally the on-set person on the show. I would like, I was working the, in the truck. And the prop, the on-set prop had to like go on a run, and so they're like, can you go in and just do this scene with Spader where you have to like, all you have to do is like zip tie his hands behind his back before he goes on set, because he's like, you know, he's been taken hostage. And, you know, we, are like, we have fake zip ties, so they're slip, he can just take them off. And I was like, sure. And so I was in there and I'm, I have never really interacted with Spader. He's kind of intimidating. And like, and I was like, oh, you know, Mr. Spader, I'm just going to zip tie your hands behind your back and see it's a fake zip tie so you can just take them off. And he was like, no, no, I want the real one. <gasps> and Method. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, who am I to tell Spader how to do his job? So I'm like, okay. And so I zip tied his, his hands shut and then I, my phone rang. And, you know, obviously you're not supposed to take a phone call on set, but it was it was these producers on the TV show that I was trying to take out. So I was like, I probably have time to step outside real quick. So I stepped outside and it and it was a producer with like the probably like the best news I'd ever had at the time, you know, my career that like we had an actor had just signed on to the thing to the script and there were studios who were interested in buying it. And it was like, you know, they're like, we need you to come out to L.A. And meanwhile, I was on this call and. I, I guess the whole production had, was like looking for me and I had to go back inside the set. I was like, what's going on? And they're like, Spader is trying to get his handcuffs off and he couldn't get them off. And everyone was like freaking out. And they had, there was like some grip who had taken out like a box cutter and was about to like slice his hands. And, um, it was a bad day on set. But, um, Did you get fired? I'm surprised you wouldn't. I think I left the next day because I was like, I'm sorry, I, you know, I have to go. I'm, to I'm done. I'm out. Can I ask, in terms of the timeline, when you got your first paycheck, A, what was it? And then B, how far away from getting your manager was that? Uh, and honestly, it was, it was seven years after I got my manager. So that script, it was a, t it was a television show that, that I wrote. Like, I wrote the pilot speculatively. And it was like a one-hour kind of conspiracy thriller and I showed it to my manager and my <clears throat> agent at the time the one who had called me from when I was on the electric company and you know I'd been working with them for six or seven years and had never gotten a job you know I had tons of generals I developed things with producers I'd had a few things where there was like I'd gotten a rewrite and then when it came time to actually like commence they were like oh we're actually not going to do it mm -hmm. and so it had been a really long frustrating that period was maybe more frustrating than like before when I was like 
just blindly hopeful, but didn't have representation. Anyway, I sent this TV pilot to, to my reps at the time, and it took him forever to read it, I remember, and eventually my agent, that agent called me and was like, I did read the script, and um, I, I don't think you can mm. sell it, and I don't think I should be your agent anymore. Wow. And... My manager, I believe, had gotten fired from his management company at that point and was kind of had, had left. So I didn't, I had this script that I thought was really good. And I didn't, at that point, I was like, I don't know anyone else because I hadn't come, really come to LA. I hadn't done the thing. And, um, and I knew this one guy named Jeff Silver, who now runs Grandview, and, uh, which is a management company. And I had met Jeff when he was do, also doing some producing. And I was like, I know I heard you're starting a management company. I happen to be looking for a manager and you're the only person I know who's a manager. And, and you know, I'm like, I have the script and I think it's good. So I sent that script to Jeff and Jeff and, and he, a, a guy there named Zach read the script and they're like, we think this is really good and we think we can, we can put it Whoa. together. So That's insane. So one script lost you your agent, but gained you a new rep. Like that just really shows how subjective these reads can be. It really is. I mean, I tell people a lot that like it's one not be discouraged about when you're sending scripts out, and it if it if you really believe in it, and that you know it, even if you do get like someone who will read it, and you get the, and that feels like a great opportunity. It might just be the wrong person yeah. who read it. You know, and it doesn't mean that, like, you know, people have have niches that they're looking for. Or people have certain tastes, and you, you really kind of it's hard to hit that bullseye where you're both like getting an opportunity to share your script with someone who can actually do something, and it's someone who is right for that material. And so that's kind of a crapshoot. Wow. So you get this manager. You're 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 thriving. Your career is now on the up and up. I think the next logical question is. Like, what do you think of my tennis game? Like, what do you think my strong assets are? <laughs> Josh, have you seen Josh play tennis? I've never played tennis with him ever. And I want him to, to give me lessons, but I'm also scared because I've heard that he tries to, like, deliberately bean people sometimes. Get out of here. <laughs> he's, he's aggressive out there. No, he's a, he's a phenomenal tennis player. And it's... I. I sense sometimes that he just allows me to hit with him so he can have screen screenwriting screen chat, yeah. But, it's very valuable yeah. time. But it's it's okay, it's I'll take it. Um, yeah. so um yeah, we should hit again sometime. Um so uh <laughs> I guess where does where does King Richard come into this story? So you have your reps and then I guess when did you get your your reps at Grandview? And I re you have told me this story. I'm just trying to put the pieces together because I think it's so freaking interesting and almost kind of inspiring how it all came to be. So yeah, I guess the gap from you have your manager and then from when you get your manager, how do you get the meeting for King Richard? And then how did that all come to be? I got my manager. That show I was talking about, we did end up taking out and it and that show sold. So I spent. A year sort of developing that show at, at TNT and the sh that show never got made but it was like my first sort of real experience where I was I mean really like where I was working with the network where I was working with with producers doing real notes and revisions and it was a really good 
experience and learning curve, even though it, it never moved forward. But then, you know, because that show sold and there was an announcement and whatever, all that stuff, like, then I went and, and started putting together pitches and meeting other, you know, doing like the generals that were now I sort of understood a little bit more about how to make those productive and really try to build, you know, a lot. I thought originally you're going on these, you know, like what a lot of people pejoratively call is like these water bottle mm -hmm. tours and that I was just going to go in a room and be like, oh, what do you have for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like what, what great material are you like going to hire me to write? <clears throat> and really it's not like they're like blind dates where you're just really trying to meet people who you it's like have similar interests who you line on on projects and creative with and then you're like I don't know maybe two years later if you you're just sort of shooting back ideas back and forth with those people you, who you now like have a relationship with something might emerge and I, I didn't really realize how much of it was just like a relationship building and so I developed a couple projects with producers, and so f between that TV show and King Richard, I, I sold a f you know feature pitch. I sold oh, another wow. TV thing, and you know I was working. So at that point, you know I was probably I was I had like a job every year. Was that able to keep you going so that you didn't have to have another day job during this time, or were you also working in props? Yeah. Still? Okay. No, I stopped working in props. Um, I went back, Josh, you'll like this. I went back and did like two days on an episode of Billions that my friend was prop mastering on because Damian Lewis's character was playing tennis against Maria Sharapova. No way. In some scene. And and the prop master knew that I was a big tennis fan. I was like, do you want to come and just like feed balls to them? Oh my gosh. During, you know, like the different sides of it. So I think that was the last prop thing I did. I need, um, but I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to plant this here on the podcast right now. If there's ever another tennis thing in your life and like you're playing with like Federer or like Nadal <laughs> and they're like, he needs someone to hit with. I just, I'll drop it. I'll do anything. I'll be there. <laughs> if I had known you during King Richard, you would have been a, a huge asset because there was... <sighs> Um, Don't say this. You know, th th we needed hitting partners constantly, and there was, yeah. Oh, Josh, you would have loved it. There was just a, every day on that set, Josh was on a tennis court with, like, you know, a some former tennis pro coming by to hit with the actresses or to, you know, give context on, like, matches. And then during lunch, okay, I, I, had, I just brought my racket every day. <laughs> oh, my God. And I would make them... <laughs> <sighs> um, for another podcast. Yeah. yeah. Josh, you need to write a tennis movie. Get your tennis rom-com going or something. <laughs> a tennis rom-com. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's this, uh, the, I mispronounce his name, Luca Guadagni, the guy who directed Call Me By Your Name and, um, mm. and uh, Bones and All, the new Sh Shyamalan movie. Um, he's doing a tennis movie right now with Zendaya and the guy from West Side Story, mm. and there it's like, they've had a lot of tennis bros coming back this and forth. This is fucking bullshit. Um, okay, keep going. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> tangential. Fuck. Anyway, actually, this is, this is useful. So, obviously, I'm like a tennis fan, and the t that TV show that I had sold, 
was a conspiracy thriller that was set in the world of professional tennis. Oh, amazing. And I had done, I felt like I had a good background. I'd done a lot of research into tennis. Whatever, five years later, I was on a general meeting in New York with this producer, Tim White. And it was, you know, it was about a different project. And we were like, hit it off in that meeting and we you know, that, that project was cool and I was interested in it, but on the sort of, I, as I was leaving the meeting, I, I was on, I was going to the U S open to watch a match and I mentioned it to Tim and Tim was like, Oh, if you like tennis, like I have, I have an idea for a movie that I've been trying to get off the ground <laughs> for a long time. And that was a movie about the Williams family. And so I stayed and we talked about it for like another 20 minutes and he was like, you know, if, you, if you're interested, if you think you can figure out what it is, because we haven't cracked, he's like, you know, I know that the, their family story is, is really powerful and that Richard is an interesting character, but we don't know what it would be. And he's like, but we also have, a, we have another writer that we're like kind of in about to maybe sign a contract with. So he's mm-hmm. like, you'd have to figure out something very quickly. And so I, I, re- I just jumped on it. I knew it was like a you know, huge idea. And so I took like a weekend and I, you know, I just consumed everything I could in that period of time and felt like I had found the core of what I thought the movie could be. And I sent Tim and his brother Trevor, who they are, their producing partners, just this like, you know, what, what would have been a pitch, but I just, you know, wrote it in a long sort of stream of consciousness email and honestly, that's like the best thing I've ever written, that, that email. And it was really like the whole movie just like kind of was there. And then they were like, okay, if you want to do it, like we'd love you to do it. We won't hire this other, this other person. Um, but they're like, also, we, you know, we don't have the rights to the family. So they dropped that afterwards, by the way. No, no, no. I think I, think I probably knew that. Okay, because that's often a tactic they use, so... <laughs> No, I think it was, it was, I think we talked about like what the process of, you know, we could go at that point and take this pitch to Venus and Serena, right? And say like, look, we have a really clear idea. I'm sure other people have approached you uh, about doing your, about doing your story, but this is what, how we would approach it. And, and at that point, you know, I had what I, I'd sold as a show, but I had no credits and Tim and Trevor were like really successful young producers who had done the, they'd helped develop the post that Spielberg movie mm-hmm. and had made Ingrid Goes West and, you know, I think were making a name for themselves, but they also probably didn't feel like they were at the place where they could just take out a pitch to, and that was going to get Venus and Serena. So I think we all collectively decided that the best chance was to actually bring them of like a concrete fully formed project, you know, a finished script and say like, this is what we want to do. And then maybe I think we thought if we could, if we could get a piece of talent attached to it, that would help as well. And you know, like a filmmaker or an actor. And so that, that was the plan. Was there any hesitation on your part to, I'm assuming, write this on spec and have to go through what would presumably be a very long process? Or were you so impassioned by the material that you were like, I absolutely want to write this story regardless? I was just, I really felt like it was a unique opportunity that it was worth taking a risk. They, they did 
I they did pay me a little bit, okay. so it was nice to like. I I didn't feel like, you know, it was not a, a lot of money, but it was it was enough that I felt like okay, I could I could still like feed my family while if while I took that that risk mm. and but really it was like I I felt like you know as a as a writer who does not have access to like you know some huge piece of IP that I felt like that was the this this idea was the closest that I was really going to get to having my hands on something that was um that was going to be that appealing to to studios in that way you know that like that even though we didn't have the rights to it like you can't just go and I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna write a Batman movie, and maybe I can, maybe DC will like, will will buy it. Like, but I did feel like that, you know, there there is this wiggle room with with true stories with public figures where we probably could have made like legally could have made that movie without their involvement. Mm-hmm. You know, it's factual. There's no like we had legal teams look at the script before it went out. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there that it. I had to, I did like massively annotated versions of it where like how where I sourced all the everything from. Oh wow! But that was never like that was never what we wanted to do. You know, we really we knew we wanted their involvement. We knew the movie ultimately would be would be better if we could interview them and and actually get some stories that are not in the public space. So um, so all to say like I it was a risk, but it was also I'm sure you like. Both of you have like found times where you're writing something, and I was like, I could research that thing like for two years, and I would have been fascinated with it. Like the that part of it, like I never, I never got to a point where I was like, Ugh, I don't want to like read another mm. book about this. Mm-hmm. And I've done projects that I I love the story, but the research was a, like a slog, and so it was just so squarely in like the wheelhouse of all everything that I the I was like. A world that I'm really interested in, but then the the kind of stories that I was really interested to write at that at that time, which was like you know I thought that Richard was just this really incredibly complicated, fascinating character that um, that could be both extremely disarming and extremely controversial, and that you know could sort of bring a I don't know like a character study of a guy like that, but into a bigger, more accessible movie. And they had been trying to get this thing up and running for several years before you came on board, right? So do you know kind of what other takes they had been hearing that just wasn't working for them and, and why yours seemed to cut through that fat and, and get to them? I've never read like any of the other takes. I mean, we've talked about them a little bit. I mean, I think it was, it, it was in part about just sort of finding what that window into their lives where where it was gonna the movie was gonna focus so I think you know I think people had pitched soup to nuts like doing you know Richard is born and then Venus wins Wimbledon Mm -hmm. like that kind of whole span or you know or different periods you know there's a very like sort of famous incident infamous I guess where Venus and Serena were playing at Indian Wells and just went through this really horrible racist situation with the crowd there and so I think that was a could could have been a a, a interesting framing point for the for the story but I I really think it was just that I I didn't want to try and tell a you know like a biopic in Mm -hmm. that way I was more interested in trying to tell like a 
condensed window of time that could really, if you could find like the sort of that one prism where everything that is in this story could be told in this window, you know, everything that like they wanted to achieve, all the struggles that they were going to go through um, and keep it so it didn't have to feel like super elliptical, but it was like, you know, it still felt like it was one scene moving to the next, to the next, to the next, as opposed to, I mean, I think there's some biopics that do it really well, but just like, we're going to show you every scene in someone's life. And it, yeah. so I think that that window that I pitched them with was a big part of it. I'm sure this is going back into memory that may or may not be there, but do you remember in your research that weekend, what was the thing that was kind of an aha moment for you of like, oh, then I want to do that. I want to do that section of the story. Was it something you um, read about Richard that kind of flagged it for you? Or do you even remember that process? Yeah, there, I think there were, <clears throat> there were sort of two things. One, I read, I found an old New York Times article that detailed the final match that's in the movie. Mm. So this, like, you know, that was the movie ends with Venus's first pro tournament. And I read an account of, what happened there that she had been, you know, she was up a set and a break uh, against the number one player in the world and was, you know, which would have been probably the biggest upset in the, you know, history of, of women's tennis. And, and then she lost and she didn't win another game in that match. And so that I was like, okay, well, this is, if, if the movie could build to that idea where she's, you know, we're going to show her debut. Everyone knows what the Williams sisters are going to become professionally, but if we could do something unexpected with the ending of it and have it be a loss but a victory, sort of in the way that, you know, that Rocky ends, that felt like, okay, maybe that should be the end point of the movie. And then really I just, you know, I read a lot about Richard and, and sort of started to realize how traumatic a upbringing he had had and, and how much trauma and racism he had faced in his life and 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 how that really I mean he, he talks about you know really just sort of wanting to do something that was gonna put him and him and, as well as his family in a place of respect in the world mm-hmm. and, I, and so once I sort of understood that that he had this really clear goal that I was like okay well I'm gonna go I'll take any ride with this guy that he's gonna be on and he can be as bombastic and crazy as possible as he, as he wants to be because I know underneath like that everyone can empathize with that feeling of, of that he that he's trying to achieve. So that that was a pretty like eye opening thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. So do you use do you have like a writer's group, like a group bef- like even before writing, like when, when you were just like getting going, do you write by yourself or do you show it to? I mean, obviously now it's like producers and everything, but do you have like a core group of friends that you, you pass your script off to? I don't, and I wish I had. I mean, I think I, I kind of did it in a vacuum for a really long time. And so I, I think, one, I probably wasn't as productive as I could have been, like, during all those years where I was yeah. where I was doing it. I mean, I had a few other friends that were writing either screenplays or, or fiction and stuff, and sometimes I would share it. But I was really, I don't know, I was, like, overly protective of it, probably. That was a learning curve. Because then, you know, then when I did start sending it out and you do get the notes back, you're like, well, fuck, I don't want to like, you know, I just, I'm like, I'm, but I'm done. And so that I, I wish I had what, what you two had, you know, I think it would have been really helpful. Yeah. But now, 
I work with my wife a lot, so um, you know she's the she's like the the one who I talk everything through. She reads everything, like from you know I'll even you know we'll we'll break scenes together. We're we're writing something together now. Where we're like she'll we'll be co-writers on it. She's wow. become that like that that sounding board. And, there's there's nothing that hurts more than when your significant other like really cuts and gives you notes on something for like <laughs> real casually like yeah yeah this seems okay I, I guess speaking to that you're you know you're writing with your wife and I know you're writing on different projects like how do you balance the different things you work on do you have a schedule do you have is it just something where it's like deadline be like, I have to get this done, so I'm going to do this. And then when that's done, I'm going to work on my next thing. Like, how do you balance your, your day-to-day with writing? If I'm starting something from scratch, you know, I want to, I don't want to have to do anything else but that, but that project. And you want to just be like, okay, well, I'm going to do, I outline, you know, I, I, I try to be very prepared before I write a first draft of the script. And then I try to just, like, really speed through a draft. So... You know, I'll try to be like, okay, well, maybe the first draft is I want to write ten pages a day, and if I, you know, okay, so I can maybe have a have a draft of a script done in, you know, three weeks or something. And damn, that would be awful. It would be terrible, you know. But it would just be okay. Now I can react to it. Most of the time, now like like the tale of other projects just like will lingers for a long time. You don't sort of necessarily know when one assignment is is going to be over so that it can just be a clear path to, to setting the whole day on, on, on other things. So I try to be really organized where I say, okay, I'm going to do, okay, you know, I have rewrites on, there's doing reshoots on this and I have, and I have a couple pages. I'm like, I'll do two hours in the morning on that. Then I'm going to do four hours on my like first draft of something I'm going to do. And then the last two hours of the day I'm going to do, you know, like the polish on something else, but it never works out like that. You know, I, I always like an email comes in and it blows up your whole day and you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to just be doing this. And so now all day Monday, I ended up working on one script and the thing that I thought was going to be Monday morning, I do like Friday night and it's, and I'm not particularly like, I, I'm not really a regimented person. So it's, uh, same as everyone else. Like I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just, uh, you know, watch like Eagles highlights for an hour <laughs> this morning before I start. Yeah. It, it doesn't help when I'm I'm probably dropping you texts throughout the day. Like, yo, you want to grab a drink tonight? Want to play some tennis and have a drink? <laughs> hey, yeah. where are you, man? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> but honestly, that stuff helped. Like, if I know that I have something that's like, you know, like if I'm playing tennis or I'm going out to dinner with someone or I'm doing something in the evening that I'm really looking forward to, like that it, it helps me be like, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, I really got to grind today. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm good. I'm really good under a deadline. And I think that that helps. So I try to set self-imposed things. And I don't like, I know a lot of people like blow deadlines when they're turning in stuff. I really don't like to do it. So I, I'm... I really try to stick to, if I say I'm going to deliver something on a date, I really try to stick to it. Do you typically work like six hours a day, 12 hours a day, or does it just totally vary from day to day? I try to put in like a, like a, a regular person's work day, you know, like that we I have kids, take the kids to school, and then I try to work, you know, from like 8.30 to 6.30. Mm. 
if if I, I'm really up against it, then I'll you know I'll work after bedtime, and I'll you know so I'll, then I'll work from nine to eleven or something. You you mentioned that you like to have one project at a time, which. I totally agree. That would be ideal. But obviously you're not, right? You have so many projects that are in various phases from rewrites to reshoots to probably originals. And how many at one time do you think you're working on now? I mean, like today I have four, th- I have four scripts I have to do today. So I have, I have a movie that is doing reshoots right now that I am turning pages in on. Ray Green, who directed King Richard, is directing a movie about Bob Marley that starts shooting in uh, like six weeks, and I'm I'm writing that with him, and so I'm we're doing you know rewrites to prep for that right now, and then yeah. my wife and I are um, writing this TV show that we just that we just sold together, and then I have a spec that I'm finishing. So we got to get you out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Can well, get to work. It's we, okay. uh, this was like, <laughs> thanks for coming. This on. was my fun part. This is my fun part of the day. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask. You went from, you know, developing stuff, selling a TV show that you'd created, writing King Richard, which was, you know, based on IP loosely, but you know your your original take, to now doing writing reshoots um, for something, which I think is a whole other part of your brain, right? A whole other sort of demand on your kind of writing abilities. Can you kind of talk about how writing for reshoots might be different than writing for a rewrite or writing an original thing? It's pretty, I mean, I actually have enjoyed the process of all these different things. So like, I think these like, you know, scripts have different necessities along the way. The first read that you, that you write and it's like, it's going to go to execs, it's going to go to your managers, it's going to go to actors that like, that I I write a lot of prose in my scripts, you know, because I think that those first reads need to really like sell the project in a way, right? And then when director comes on board, it really changes, and they're saying like, "Why do you have all this flowery shit in the script? Like I don't, that doesn't help me make the movie." So then you know, then take all that stuff out, and it becomes much more of a practical document and. Um, I still like try to hold on to like some little, you know, turn of phrase that I was like, this was pretty good. I'm just going to, he's going to have to figure <laughs> out a way to shoot around it. But then with the, like a rewrite, you know, it's, it is a different part of your brain because you're coming in and you're sort of saying like, okay, what, what is not working in this script or what is, what are the areas that need to be fixed? And you, you're not like over, you're not bringing necessarily maybe your, voice to the whole thing you have to find a way to be a collaborator collaborator and to work within the the voice of that script and i think um that's kind of a a fun project because you're well you're more of a mechanic but i actually i've like kind of i've enjoyed that because you can sort of come in and and really see you know like you'll be writing a script and you'll get really rutted in one idea or one pat and you're like it's very hard when you've been working on something for two years and you've like chiseled this lane and you're like, no, no, I know this is the right way. And, but everyone is telling you, well, no, no, like somewhere back there you made a mistake mm-hmm. and you can't pull your head out of your ass and find it. And like, then if you bring in a new set of eyes, it's can be easier sometimes for that person to say, oh yeah, I see like on page 30, you fucked up. And if you had just done this, then 
So it's kind of, it, it can be kind of nice to have that role for a little while. And the reshoot thing is totally like a crazy mind fuck because it's like looking at an edit that's done and then sort of saying, okay, well, one, like, is there some, are there, is there two or three lines that we could put in here that will like totally change the direction of a scene or give information that was missing? And so that's like the little like garnishes at the end of something. Reshoots has been a puzzle, I think, a little bit because you're like, well, well, I don't know. One, you just, it, you're in the mindset of a script three years ago and then trying to come back into it at that point is is complicated and um yeah i don't know it's i'm not explaining this well but i think it, it no, they great. all are like sort of different skill sets and and different ways to to look at things because you're not at that point you can't do anything you want you're you're mm-hmm. working in a very specific uh section of the story and it could be like one scene that is going to define how everything else in the movie is interpreted yeah it's far more, I feel like, solution-based at that stage, right? Where like you, yeah. you only have this, this scene, this amount of footage. We can't build a whole new set. It has to be this. And you just have to, even if like you're having to jam dialogue in a certain way, like you just have to get the scene to turn the way it needs to turn. Um, and it becomes, I, yeah. I have found in like the editing process, it's so different, but also so fun because it is its own way. I don't ever think that way when I'm writing an original script. Either do I, but it's really cool to like be in, in the edit and, and get to sort of see how, you know, one, the, the way you imagine something could, it could be totally different now in that scene. But then you're, there's so many ways to mold it even at that point. And it's, it's cool as a writer to get a chance to have, like a, to have a voice in that. And I find though, like with these reshoots, I'll write a lot more alts than I would ever, you know, I, I generally would not put it like a, an alt in a, a draft of a script that's going out to anyone. Because you want to be like, no, no, this is the line. This is, I thought about this for, you know, you know, three weeks, this one perfect thing. <laughs> and it's like, and I, and I got it to there. And now with this, I'll just write like, here's, I don't know, here's every thought I had about what, you know, this character could say. At yeah, this that's and interesting. Here's 10, 10 different lines and just... Like I, I'm at that point, I'm not being as, as like prescriptive. Yeah. You're able to sort of let things go for sure. A little bit. Yeah. All right. I can, I can let Zach go. I can we, let we're him go Zach do go. his 4 million things. Yeah. Next time. I'll do it again. Time. Let's do it again. Yeah. Let's do it again. Next time we, we bring your wife on. We talk about yeah. a writing partnership in the house. Yeah. And, uh, and that new And how project. that is for relationships. Yeah. That'd be great. It'd <laughs> be like therapy a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can have like, yeah, we can have couples therapy on this. <laughs> yeah, bring out the notes the you've pot. given to each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just life, life notes. Yeah. But dude, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. It was yeah. so interesting to hear your story and, and it's, it's so cool that you beat Josh at tennis all the time. <laughs> I wish I would give it all up to beat Josh at tennis one time. <laughs> No, no, no. Zach's amazing at tennis, by the way. I feel like I feel like I should say it. That's kind. That's kind. Yeah, of I got to throw it back. That yeah. says a lot if he says that, though. Take that to heart. I feel like he never says anything good about other tennis players. I don't say anything good about anybody. <laughs> <laughs> that felt like a note you get from a studio. Where you're like, it's really good, but we have. Uh, I'm gonna give you a few pointers. No way, man. It's a great start. A, yeah, no, it's good. It's good. All right, quote cool. of the day. I'll take us out. Take us out. Okay. Gosh, great writers aren't great first drafters. They're great rewriters. Taiko Waititi. 
Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. I am at Story Thursday on Instagram or Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. Zach, are you even on social media? I'm not. Okay. I'm not. Good man. So, but I, I'll follow you guys. So yeah. freaking elusive. <laughs> As always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, my new husband. Music by 4 and 4 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.